0: Welcome to Skim
1: This. Breaking news out of Texas, and it is heartbreaking news. I think we all know and have said many times with each other, enough is enough. All the moms that lost their babies, um, I am so sorry. I cannot imagine what they're going through. Now we have children murdered at
0: school. When are we going to do something? Horror and outrage throughout the U.S., as we grieve yet another mass shooting. This one, the deadliest school shooting since Sandy Hook. And as families in Uvalde, Texas, mourn the loss of 19 children and two educators, the nation debates what it will take to stop another classroom massacre. Also on the show, Oklahoma has just passed the strictest abortion ban in the country, We spoke to a provider there about what comes next. We have to be
2: advocates in what we do as well. And so I think you kind of feel, at least I personally, have felt this empowering need to fight back.
0: We've also got what you need to know about monkeypox and the Rocky stock market. And we'll wrap things up with some good news this AAPI Heritage Month with the story of two community leaders making a difference, one meal at a time. We're here to make you smarter, and the news less overwhelming. I'm Alex Carr. Let's skim this.
3: We're coming on the air because of an awful scene playing out today in Texas. An active shooter for a time at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. This is about 80 miles outside of San Antonio.
0: On Tuesday... Two days before school was supposed to break for the summer, 19 children and two adults at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, lost their lives in the deadliest school shooting since Sandy Hook. At least a dozen others are injured and one woman remains in critical condition. The 18-year-old gunman, who was a student at the local high school, launched the attack shortly before noon local time and was later killed by responding officers. Authorities said they believe the gunman acted alone and that he shared his plans in direct messages on social media before the massacre. They also confirmed that he shot his grandmother at home before he drove to the elementary school. Witnesses say that law enforcement officers broke windows so that students and educators could escape gunfire. And parents waiting for news about their children had to provide DNA samples to help identify who passed away. Among the dead are two dedicated educators who loved teaching. And students who loved joking around, dancing, sports, and talking to their friends. Family members and friends mourned in posts on social media, sharing glimpses into the young lives of the victims. Parents describe children who were full of life and loved being the center of attention, posting photos of smiling faces and family time. Americans are starting the cycle of grief yet again. In the past two weeks, there have been mass shootings in Buffalo, New York and Orange County, California. And the US has seen over 200 mass shootings this year alone. Each massacre we've grieved has touched all parts of American life and all sorts of communities. People have been gunned down at school, places of worship, the grocery store, nightclubs, music festivals. This time, after more children have been murdered, people have expressed their outrage, anguish, and disappointment that a broken system in this country hasn't been fixed. After Sandy Hook 10 years ago, after the Parkland school shooting four years ago, or after this week in Uvalde. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, who represented the district that Sandy Hook was in when he was in the House, begged his colleagues to not be numb to this during a speech on the Senate floor on Tuesday.
1: Just days after a shooter walked into a grocery store to gun down African-American patrons, we have another Sandy Hook on our hands. What are we doing? There have been more mass shootings than days in the year. Our kids are living in fear. Every single time they set foot in a classroom because they think they're going to be next. What are we doing?
0: In the midst of all this tragedy, The fate of gun control in this country is once again in the hands of politicians. The gunman in Uvalde had purchased two firearms, including the weapon that was used on Tuesday within the past week. He had just turned 18. And Texas, which is the state he purchased those firearms in, has long been a state with loose gun laws. Just last year, Texas passed at least seven bills that eased gun restrictions allowing residents to carry firearms without a license or training. Texas's Governor Greg Abbott, who's up for re-election this year, doubled down on his support of the Second Amendment during a press conference following the shooting. The ability of
2: an 18-year-old to buy a long gun has uh, been in place uh, instead of Texas for more than 60 years.
0: Nationwide, homicides have reached their highest levels in more than 25 years, and gun ownership has skyrocketed. In 2020, firearms eclipsed car accidents as the leading cause of death for children in the United States. But as we've gotten more and more harrowing statistics, the divide over gun ownership in America remains the same. In fact, the past two decades have been full of major failures for gun control. In 2004, Congress let the ban on semi-automatic assault weapons expire, 10 years after that ban had gone into effect. In 2013, after the Sandy Hook shooting, a bipartisan group of senators, including Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, tried to expand the background check system for gun ownership, but that legislation wasn't able to get 60 votes and it failed. In 2019, and again in 2021, the House passed two bills that would expand background checks and close loopholes for certain types of firearm sales, but those haven't been able to get through a split Senate. Now, President Biden, who was vice president during the Sandy Hook shooting, has urged lawmakers to act. Here he was addressing the nation on Tuesday night.
1: Good evening, fellow Americans. I had hoped when I became president, I would not have to do this again. We have to ask, when in God's name are we gonna stand up to the gun lobby?
0: So far, in the wake of the shooting, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced there are no immediate plans to vote on a bill calling for greater background checks, which nearly 90% of Americans support. Instead, he's opting for negotiating with Republicans on a bipartisan deal to address the issue. Meanwhile, Republicans, many of whom receive donations from the National Rifle Association, have called for more security in schools and arming teachers. Though we should point out, Uvalde reportedly had a security plan in place that included its own police force and social media monitoring software. But that didn't seem to be able to prevent this tragedy. As the nation considers what it will take to stop another classroom massacre, This weekend, Texas is set to host the NRA's annual meeting with high-profile guests like former President Donald Trump and Texas Senator Ted Cruz, while exhausted and frightened parents wonder what to tell their children, who still have to get up and go to school the next day.
2: When 1503 first passed, we basically were notified that we needed to cancel the appointments for the following day. The first call I made was actually from a patient traveling from Texas. Her and her spouse were in the car halfway to Oklahoma. They had taken off work. They had rented a car. They had a hotel. All of these things necessary to you know travel out of state for a medical procedure.
0: Andrea Gallegos is the executive administrator of Tulsa Women's Clinic in Tulsa, Oklahoma and Alamo Women's Reproductive Services in San Antonio, Texas. And she had to make these phone calls to her patients because Oklahoma's governor signed into law SB 1503 earlier this month. It's a so-called fetal heartbeat bill, which effectively bans abortions after six weeks, and it took effect immediately. For Gallegos, that was hard news to break to her patients.
2: They were just in complete disbelief. They begged, please, please, we're almost there. Please, you know, we've got to do this. We have no other option. We can't do this in Texas. I had another patient. She had missed our call, unfortunately, the evening before. So she was on the way that morning, but she was running late. So she called to tell us she was running late and I had happened to answer the phone and had to tell her, I'm so sorry, you missed our phone call the evening before. And there was kind of a long silence before she responded. And then she let me know that she was seeking this abortion because she had been raped. And unfortunately, 1503 made absolutely no exceptions for rape survivors. I had to explain to her that given her circumstances, I still could not help her. And it was uh,
0: pretty awful. A day in the life of an abortion care provider doesn't fit neatly into one job description.
2: It's not just taking care of the patient's physical, medical need and providing the abortion. It's counseling them. It's holding their hand. It's the shoulder to cry on if that's what needs to happen. It's crying with them sometimes. It's being very knowledgeable about the current law so then we can educate patients about the laws. It's all of that. The other part I would add that I think not everyone realizes what patients face, what providers face every single day at every single clinic, conservative state or not, is the protesters that we have to walk by or walk through or listen to when we come to work every day. So you also have to add this tough (laughs) tough skin because the best thing to do is ignore them. And there are days when that's really challenging, when people are screaming at you because of what you've chosen to do.
0: And lately, it's a job that's been made even more challenging. Oklahoma is one of a number of states, including Idaho, Mississippi, Missouri, and Florida, that have moved to severely restrict abortion access ahead of the Supreme Court likely overturning Roe v. Wade this summer. And while Roe is technically still the law of the land, and these types of bans violate the constitutional right to an abortion that Roe provides, that hasn't stopped these laws from taking effect anyways, at least until they're challenged in court. These states that have already restricted access are serving as a blueprint for what a post-Roe America could look like where laws can change at any moment, providers have to scramble to keep up, and people seeking abortions either have to travel out of state or are forced to carry their pregnancy. And in these confusing and challenging moments ahead of the expected SCOTUS decision, providers have been on the front lines navigating this uncertainty. For Gallegos and her team, they had a major decision to make a few weeks ago, before the fetal heartbeat bill 1503 passed in Oklahoma.
2: These laws are very defeating. You feel defeated each time a new restriction happens. Before 1503 passed at the beginning of this month, we decided, it was a hard decision, but we decided that we were going to see patients to the very end. So that meant Scheduling, keeping a schedule, even though at any given moment, we may have to call the patients on our schedule and say, so sorry, we now can no longer see you. And knowing that was going to be incredibly difficult. Um, There were other clinics in the state that decided to stop seeing patients to prevent that, which I, I understand that choice too. And so at the end of every day, because it was so unknown of when this would pass, I mean, we really each day, each week that we were able to see patients um, just being really grateful that we had made that decision and we were able to help that many more women that day, I think made it easier to continue each day forward.
0: This week, the governor of Oklahoma just signed a new, even more strict abortion ban which effectively outlaws abortion at the moment of fertilization. So Gallegos and her team have been preparing their patients for another challenge.
2: We're providing as many resources as we can. There are some fabulous organizations that are fully covering the cost of the actual abortion, of travel costs for patients who are needing to go out of state. No patient leaves either clinic without all of the information that we can possibly provide. Names of other clinics, names of organizations, phone numbers. We want to make it as simple as possible and just lots of reassurance that, you know, we understand when they're angry and that we're there with them in every way that we can be.
0: Besides arming their patients with information about pending new laws and how to access and pay for an out-of-state abortion, the Tulsa Women's Clinic has also joined the legal fight for abortion access. A fight providers and healthcare workers aren't giving up, as the end of Roe seems all but certain. Abortion is, is healthcare. We
2: have to be advocates in what we do as well. And so I think you kind of feel, at least I personally have felt kind of this empowering need to fight back. We've worked alongside with the Center for Reproductive Rights in suing the state. We've been behind all of them as part of that. There are things that we're still trying to do to stay in the fight, and that feels necessary, that feels important, and just really trying to show patients that we're going to do as much as we possibly can.
0: As the Supreme Court decision approaches, And as more than half of U.S. states are poised to enact strict abortion bans if Roe is overturned, the Skim will keep you updated every step of the way. We'll also leave a link to the state of abortion rights in our show notes.
3: The S&P 500 plunging for almost three hours into bear market territory. Technical bear market.
1: It's bear market territory. Pretty firmly in a big bear market.
0: Okay, we've been hearing about stocks falling for the past few weeks. But now, Wall Street analysts are concerned that we're heading into a bear market. But wait, what even is a bear market? And how does it affect our wallets? We'll explain in 60 seconds. Let's start with a definition. A bear market is when a stock price or a stock index, like the S&P, NASDAQ, or the Dow Jones, falls 20% or more from a recent high over a certain period of time, usually two months or more. Basically, a bear market signifies that stock prices could stay low for a while. And people pay attention to a bear market Because when the market's down, and down for long periods of time, people tend to feel more nervous about the economy, and less inclined to spend. So it makes sense that bear markets tend to go hand in hand with the R word, recession. And analysts say, we're seeing the signs stocks are about to go into hibernation season again. Last week, the S&P 500, which is one of the major stock indexes in the US, briefly sank low enough to be in bear market territory. Right now, stocks are slumping for a few reasons, including high inflation, rising interest rates and supply chain issues, which have made investors want to pull their money out and brace for more economic uncertainty. But something you should bear in mind is just because one major stock index fell into bear territory doesn't necessarily mean it'll stay there and the markets typically clawed its way back from these conditions in less than two years. So what does a bear market mean for your wallet? Well, if you check your portfolio or your 401k, get used to seeing red for a little while. But considering the US stock market has recovered from every major downturn in the past, short-term losses in your portfolio don't matter as much if you're investing for the long-term. How'd we do? Want us to skim a question from the news? Send us your suggestions to audio at theskim.com. It's been over two years since the COVID 19 pandemic began. But now.
1: There is another warning from health officials about a new possible rare disease outbreak. It is called monkeypox.
0: That's right monkeypox, which we've got to say wasn't on our 2022 bingo cards. But here we are. Monkeypox is a virus that's most commonly found in Central and Western Africa. But now the disease has been spotted around the world, including in Europe and here in the U.S. The CDC said today it's identified nine confirmed cases of monkeypox in seven states, including Massachusetts, Florida, New York, Virginia, California, Utah, and Washington. Here to help us break down WTF monkeypoxes and whether we should be concerned is Dr. Gigi Grunval, a senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Dr. Grunval, let's start with the basics. What is monkeypox, and where did it come from?
1: We have been so used to, in the last couple of years, only thinking about COVID as a virus, but there are lots of different kinds of viruses out there. And monkeypox is a DNA virus. It's a pretty stable virus that we've had emerging uh, spillover events for a couple of decades. Even though it's called monkeypox, most of the time it's rodents that have this virus. And and so that's usually where people bump into it when contact with kinds of mice and things like that. It's spread in a different way than COVID. So we're used to aerosol spread with COVID. And that's not how monkeypox transmits. It's more about close contact. So that is a difference between monkeypox and COVID.
0: And what are the symptoms of monkeypox? What should people be looking out for?
1: So it's like they're, they're pustules that people get. And it depends, uh, they may get just a few or a whole bunch. They're usually painful pustules that they get. And if somebody has a pretty bad case, they tend to be on your hands or feet. It's a, this kind of rash can be everywhere, but it, it tends to go to the extremities of your body. But in this particular outbreak, a lot of the transmission appears to be so far through intimate contact. So people are getting these kinds of poxes in their groin area and stuff like that. People should, you know, take notice if they have any of these poxes that are kind of like fluid filled and often they're kind of surrounded by like red circles. So eventually these kind of scab over and and resolve. And most people will not need further treatment, but there are antivirals available and vaccines available for people as this outbreak develops that might be considered high risk.
0: I was going to ask because monkeypox is in the smallpox family. Does that mean we already have available treatments? And it sounds like the answer is yes. Yes.
1: Yes. So thankfully, all of the pox viruses are pretty related and they have proven to be not super difficult viruses to make vaccines against or therapeutics. So for biodefense reasons, the United States government has invested in smallpox vaccines and they're stockpiled enough for everyone in the U.S., And there are now some antivirals that would also be useful. But for most people, this is a limited infection. And the idea is to try and limit spread. Can monkeypox be fatal? It has been fatal. There are a couple different clades of monkeypox. And the one that is spreading is the less dangerous one. So if people seek medical care, they are likely to do okay, And it might be a painful couple of weeks, but mortality is not a huge concern. So President Biden said that the spread of monkeypox was
0: concerning. I'm curious, does that mirror what public health experts think? Are they also concerned?
1: It's concerning that we have a new route of transmission, perhaps of a virus, and it's concerning to have so many cases that have been identified, and it's probably just the tip of the iceberg. Um, We're going to need to have public health people, epidemiologists actually track down these cases and make sure that everybody is isolating and if they need treatment to get that treatment. So I think it's it's not something I would advise being super concerned about, except that you know this work is important and needs to get done. And we're at a crisis point again in public health where a lot of people are thinking that perhaps we don't need to put as much in the way of resources into, into public health, but this is what will keep happening. We will keep bumping into new viruses and old viruses in new ways.
0: Last question for you is, as we start seeing more headlines about monkeypox emerge, what would you tell our audience to keep in mind around how to have perspective as they watch this new virus spread?
1: Well, people should take a note of changes. And if they have any of these types of poxes or any symptoms, really, people should, if they have access, seek medical care. And people should... Also realize that you know, public health, this is the bread and butter of what we do. You know, we We try and uh, monitor new emerging diseases and try and protect people's health. You want to get them while they're small so that you can really take care of them and put them out. If you allow the fire to get big, it takes a lot more resources to be able to address it. Dr. Grumball, thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. This year's Asian-American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month theme is advancing leaders through collaboration. But for Yin Chang and Moonlin Sai, the founders of a nonprofit that provides meals for elderly Asian people in New York City, collaborating with and leading their community started well before this year. Back in 2020, Sai and Chang founded Heart of Dinner, and served over 20,000 meals to elderly Asians, after identifying how challenging it was for them to access food in the height of the pandemic. So
3: many of our elderly, because of the model minority myth, People assume that Asian Americans are constantly successful, always very wealthy, and that is far from the truth, not only harmful, it's also very deceiving in a way, where then government and other organizations may not be aware that our Asian elderly are the ones in most need, in dire need, of resources that are often overlooked. They deal with language barriers, uh, cultural barriers, socioeconomics barriers as well, and it's difficult for them first to even ask for help. And when they do, they're often ignored or silenced.
0: Tsai and Chang started cooking hot meals and stocking up on groceries that were actually familiar to Asian elders, unlike the canned tuna or beans that were found in most meal delivery services, and brought them to New York's many Asian elderly communities. And the duo said growing up in an Asian household where living with and caring for your elders is common influenced how they approached their mission.
3: We do things in a way where we think about our own grandparents. How do we treat our own grandparents? And it's so instinctively organic and natural to us because of our upbringing and how we were raised. You know, instead of American broccoli, we would replace it with bok choy, eggplant, bitter melons. These are ingredients that are popular within Asian immigrant households, and it empowers them to understand they deserve these kind of resources without ever having to wonder about whether or not they belong, whether or not they deserve it, because they do. And we value them, and we love them, and we want them to feel appreciated and thanked for their sacrifices.
0: To date, Heart of Dinner has helped raise half a million dollars in revenue for local businesses has consistently served over 500 elders each week, and has organized more than 3,000 volunteers. But it's not just about hot meals and fresh produce. Volunteers from around the world write handwritten notes for meal recipients in languages like Tagalog, Mandarin, and Korean, which might sound like a small gesture, but according to Chang, their impact is huge. The handwritten
3: notes in the native languages of our elderly recipients is equally as important as the meals that we give them. This started at around the time where a lot of our elderly were hearing news of people around their age who look like them that were being targeted and attacked and being scapegoated for the pandemic. So we wanted to counter the gutting news with something that was uplifting and brought cheer to them and gave them hope.
0: Now, two years into their operation, Tsai told us it's become less about the food and more about connections and community.
3: They still really appreciate the food, but now it's focusing on the isolation, and they really now love seeing our volunteers every week and also getting that care package. It's a shift from food now
1: to more of the holistic care.
0: As AAPI Heritage Month closes out, Chang and Sai reflected on this year's theme and how it's always been at the center of Heart of Dinner's mission.
3: Collaboration has been through and through the core to Heart of Dinner's existence and survival. We serve our elderly, we take care of them, we love them in a culturally thoughtful way. But how do we do that? We do that by also partnering with local small businesses And we always try and highlight and uplift women-owned or AAPI-owned small businesses. So it's really about collaboration and we would not be able to continue this way without them. And especially with the month of May where we have been inundated with all of these events, we lean on each other for support to move forward.
0: And of course, as the founders of a company rooted in providing food, both women are most excited to celebrate how food is at the heart of collaboration and community.
3: My own grandmother, Moonland's grandmother, Moonland's mom cooks so beautifully. And we're so proud about just showing this off to the world and sharing what each ingredient means and how we were taught and raised that it benefits our health and how it could be nourishing and healing in those ways and what it means as a universal love language, right? our food. It literally always brings people together. And that's the best way we say, I love you. Yeah, <laughs> for real.
0: Thanks for listening to skim. This, this podcast was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with our producer, Will Livingston and our associate producer, Blake Lou Merwin. This episode was engineered by Ellie McAfee Han and Andrew Calloway with help from Co. Takasugi Chernevin, And The Skim's head of audio is Grayland Brashear. Skim This will be back in your feet again next Thursday. Until then, check out the other podcasts from The Skim. 9 to 5-ish is where we talk all things career with our founders, Carly and Danielle. And Pop Cultured is our weekly deep dive into the culture stories you can't stop thinking about. Follow 9 to 5-ish and Pop Cultured wherever you're already listening to us.